What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week we have a past client of mine, actually, John Tabor, and I've got gotten the chance to learn a little bit more about John the last really a little over half a year. And I wanted to get him on here because he has done a really interesting job of finding some oddball deals over the years and finding a way to basically build in some equity by jumping through hoops that other people don't want to. And you get to hear the first deal that he missed by a thousand dollars in the early 2000s and holy cow i think it's uh, a really kind of crazy story of how much things have changed but beyond that the principles of how he found that deal has not changed and those opportunities still could very well be out there far and few in between but nonetheless something to have in the back of your mind and i would say there's a really some really good advice into this uh, episode and i encourage you guys to uh, to take a few notes because I think that if you are looking to buy your first piece of ground and you're trying to find a way to get creative and find a really cool deal, this is the episode for you. But before we get into this episode, a couple different things. If you are new to the podcast, the first time you're ever tuning in, a couple quick things. So the goal of this podcast is pretty simple. It is to help 100 people buy their first piece of ground. And so there's a variety of ways to be included in that first 100. The first one being if you are in the state of Illinois and you're in an area that I have knowledge, I'm happy to help you and uh, assist you in buying your farm. And number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I would personally do business with, I would be happy to get you connected with someone. I'll tell you this, if I don't know anyone in that area, I'm not just gonna connect you with someone that I just kind of find from a Google search because you could do that. But if it is someone that I do know in an area that is like I said, someone I do business with, I'd be happy to get you connected. And number three, if you are in the process of buying something or if you bought something and you learned something from this, just simply from the information, let me know. I still want to add you to the spreadsheet. We're cruising through it. We are in the 30s, so we're a third of the way there. And uh, that's just so fantastic to learn. And I appreciate everyone reaching out. And I think I might have a few Pat Porter books left. So if you have not gotten one and you want one, please send me an email and I'll get that out to you. Um, definitely respect what Pat has done with his books and some really good, no nonsense information that everyone can learn something from. So definitely encourage you guys to take advantage of that. Sign up for the email newsletter. And I think that is it other than it's Velvet Fest for Exodus. So be sure to go over and sign up for our email newsletter for Exodus and get the best savings of the preseason right now from our email newsletter. And also if you are in the market to order a brand new set of MMT arrows, they are available. They're up and rocking on the website. Go in, put your specs, and we're gonna build you tailored arrows for your hunting endeavors. We're super excited and proud of the arrows that we have released. So be sure to check that out. That is it for now. Hope you guys have a fantastic week. Let's get into it. Here we go. John, welcome to the Land Podcast. How's it going today? Good, Jake. Thanks. Yeah, I've, I've been pumped for this. I've known you here for, um, I think we first talked probably late last year, 2021, and uh, been staying in touch here. And uh, I, I, I had to get you on here because you have uh, some pretty interesting experiences in terms of land. I had the privilege of helping you sell one of your farms and uh, really pumped for this. But before we get into that, take a chance to introduce who you are and what you do for a living. Okay, my name's John Tabor. I live in the uh, small town of Marseilles, Illinois. Been a um, been in the Illinois Valley my entire life, and uh, I'm a telecom technician for going on 
27 years now. Um, I own my own woodworking business for the last 15 years. I'm a diehard uh, bow hunter and uh, I enjoy being out in the outdoors. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too, because originally I remember walking to your farm for the first time. Now I've realized we had more mutual contacts and probably what both of us anticipated, which is always fun in this space. And I know um, some of the woodworking you've done was with a guy or for a guy, Tanner Burns, who we had on Whitetail Cribs and we've recorded content with. He's a turkey hunting maniac out of West Virginia. And so you've actually done some, some woodworking for him in the past. Yes, I have. Um, Tanner found me on Instagram. Um, I, I make a, many taxidermy panels for many different taxidermists throughout the United States. So I'll ship, um, I'll ship Tanner quite a few different items and, and he's in West Virginia. So he had bought a, um, basically a turkey uh, pedestal for one of his good friends that did a uh, super slam. And that's how I kind of uh, got to know him is um, through Instagram. Yeah, that's really cool. For, for, for anyone who doesn't know who Tanner is, he's the youngest guy to kill a turkey in every single state in the United States that offers wild turkeys, which is, that's pretty rare. That's pretty, uh, <laughs> there's only one guy that can say that, that that's who they are. And so he's a, a diehard turkey guy. Yeah, and there's not too many people out there that's on that list who's completed the uh, United States Super Slam for turkeys. Mm-hmm. Do you are you pretty short? You travel uh, a, a little bit for turkey hunting too, don't you? I do. I try to uh, try to get out there and and hit a few states every year if um, if the time uh, is there for that. And it's fun, you know. Turkey hunting is inexpensive uh, when you go out of state. Um, there's a lot of public ground out there. And uh, it's a good opportunity to uh, go with the buddy or take your kids for an an expensive uh, trip. Yeah. You went to, was it Kentucky this year? This year, we made a a quick trip in Kentucky in late May. It was pretty warm. Um, That was just one of them trips that, uh, you know, you mark up as an experience because the the weather didn't cooperate. We kind of got there late and um, you'll have that, you know. That's the yeah. ups and downs of hunting. Yeah, for sure. Nonetheless, it's always fun to, at a minimum, just go and experience a new area and just just get out and uh, expand your horizon a little bit. Because a lot of times, I mean, it's just a turkey, and I I don't say that in a mean way, but like, it, there's more to it than just going and try to shoot turkey in the face. I guess is what I'm getting at in the experience sure. of of traveling. But um, <clears throat> so you you've been a diehard bow hunter for a really long time, and was there a certain point in your life where, where you told yourself, I really want to own some ground? Yeah, I would say I've always wanted to own my own ground. Being a blue collared worker, it's extremely hard on the money we make to do that. So it's always been a long time dream to do that. Um, so I had come across um, an opportunity one year where our county, every year, every county, they put up um, delinquent tax uh, payers that they didn't pay their property taxes. And and there's a list of usually many houses. Mm-hmm. But this particular piece that was um, not far from where we live, uh, it was 28 acres. And I had an opportunity to put a sealed bid on that. So that was my first opportunity to actually come close to having my own piece of ground. So I put my bid in. What year? And, what year uh, do you think that was? That nineties or two thousands? I would say that was around the mid two thousands. Okay. 
you know, back then I would say land was probably right around 3,500, 4,000 an acre. Mm-hmm. So when you put in for, for these type of uh, sealed bids, you gotta, you gotta have the money. You gotta send a check, you gotta have the money in the bank. So you gotta be ready for that and be prepared. So I had put my bid in and we had heard, you know, shortly after all the bids were in, I had lost it by a thousand dollars. Oh man. So <laughs> that one hurt. What one you, I could have had 28 acres and it could have been all mine. How, uh, what was your bid? Do you remember how much you put, put in for that? I believe I bid a uh, thousand an acre back then. Cause that's what we could afford. The 28,000. Oh man. Hindsight. Yeah. Which, you, and in those scenarios, you know, you, you put in what you're willing to pay and if it works out, it works out, but gosh, sure. that's, that's one of the f- sealed bids are very interesting. I think, because I think typically it's not one of the best sales methods in my opinion for uh, like an auction, like versus all the different types of sales methods that are out there. So like a listing or a, a live auction or an online auction, most of the sealed bids that I've seen on a larger scale, so like larger parcels, usually when I look at those, once the, it closes and I see what they you know sold for, it's usually like, oh man, I wish I would have put an offer in on that. And so <laughs> that's kind of the same deal there. Uh, that's crazy though. So, and that's the other thing too. So at that point, was that where you buy like a catalog and then you get to look at all the different properties that are up exactly. for auction that year? Yeah. Yep. 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 So I started doing that um, religiously every year in our county. And, um, you know, I never did see another piece that came up that, uh, you know, met my criteria, what I wanted. So that was my first opportunity. And, and I just, after that, I knew I, I definitely had to put my feet to the ground and figure out a way to, you know, to save and and try to come up with the money to to find a piece of ground. Yeah. I buy those catalogs too. I don't buy them in the County where you're at, but I buy them, but like, I usually buy, there's like $5 for the catalog and I buy them for like the tri-county area where I'm at. Sure. And I'm still waiting for one of those deals where, cause there for a while when I was like 22, fresh out of college, like I remember I put a bid on like a four or five acre parcel and I was like, Hey, this is, it's better than nothing. And, uh, what happened was the people that put in the people redeemed their taxes before the auction officially went live. So they were able to redeem the property, if that makes sense. So, sure, sure. um, so that was a little interesting, which in reality, I probably had no clue what I was getting into in terms of like trying to pay for legal fees and like transferring the title and everything. But Nonetheless, a quick way to learn. <laughs> yes. So, and so roughly mid early 2000s was the first time you'd done that. And you haven't seen one on there since. No, it's, uh, <laughs> I never did. So, um, we, uh, we heard about this other, um, auction coming up. It was a sealed bid auction and this was in 2016 and it wasn't through the County. It was through a, a private owner. And um, uh, there was a church that owned it. So they had put a, an ad in the paper and it was a pretty small ad that they're gonna be selling this, this piece of land, which was 25 acres. And <clears throat> so we discussed it, uh, the wife and I, and, and you know, what's our bid gonna be? Because here's another opportunity that we can own 25 acres and uh, it's pretty close to the house. Yeah, it's landlocked, so there's an easement issue. So we decided to uh, to throw a number out there and and hoping that you know that is stick. My understanding was there was not a whole lot of bidders um, that mailed in 
their bid. And this type of bid was you didn't have to have the money down inside the envelope like the county. Mm-hmm. So basically, you wrote your number down, how much you're going to pay per acre. And uh, we did that. So we get a phone call the day of the seal bid deadline. And I was the highest bidder. Oh, nice. So that was pretty exciting news. Yet, uh, you know, I still had a lot of hoops to go through because, you know, it's it's landlocked. We got to try to figure out an easement to get in there. Of course, with easements, they're they're pretty tricky. And, uh, you know, it took some time. It took uh, it took probably five years before we was able to get a, a physical um, easement to get in there. We was able to get temporary easements through the neighbor. Um, uh, during that time, you know, where we can get in there with UTVs, ATVs, and try to do some clearing. Mm-hmm. Which I think a couple of different points there that come to mind is <clears throat> number one, in your opinion, how important is it to keep an eye out in the area that you're familiar with? Because like for someone listening right now that's trying to do this in an area where they're not, they're not going to find that 28 acre parcel that's going up for tax auction more than likely, or see the ad in the newspaper that there's going to be a sealed bid on on 25 acres. So do you think that's really important to find something like this? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, not too many people knew about these, you know, you know, after ever, you, you try to keep your mouth shut because you don't want too many people knowing even your buddies, because you might get outbid by a good buddy. So we kept our mouth shut. And after everything was said and done, you know, I'd ask people, I said, Hey, did you, did you know about this, you know, seal bid auction for this land? And everyone I asked didn't know anything about it. So, you know, like that small ad they had in a newspaper, it was small enough for people just read over it, mm-hmm. you know, and not too many people back, uh, back in, you know, the early 2000s was, was looking at a newspaper for, for land. They, they just didn't look there because they didn't know. Yeah. I think that's really important because to find any edge as a buyer, Less people to know about it, the better off you're going to be because that's just ultimately exactly. less competition. <laughs> the other thing too that I think is really interesting about that parcel is to go in and, and buy a chunk that you don't necessarily have legal access. With. I guess you, so did you have, because I don't know if you want to say where it's at, but like there was some form of access through that even outside of the other neighbors. Like did that play a bigger role putting that bid in initially? Yeah, that, that was the biggest hold up. Um, you know, the DNR owned um, a section of land that I had to go through there. So that that took a lot of time um, to convince them that, you know, I wanted to get into my property. So there was a lot of paperwork involved. And um, it just it was a matter of time. Um, you know, we had to go through every avenue before we went to them to try to get easement. And there that was the only way into that property is just crossing there their property so we eventually got it done it took um, lots of time and lots of money yeah but i'm sure it, it was worth it in the sense of having i guess easy clean access into your parcel to where you can get e- equipment in a lot easier and not have to rely yeah, on, on it, neighbors it makes things so much more easier to um to get in there and get done that you, that you wanted to that you couldn't do before because you're restricted on you know equipment that you could bring in there at the time. Mm-hmm. So when you were buying that 25 acre parcel, was it, was there any other factors about the farm that made you want to buy it other than the opportunity to get it drastically below market value? Um, so 
yes, yes, I would say that for sure, because I um, I knew that property quite well. In fact, when I was a kid, I used to hunt down there, and you know, this piece of property hasn't been touched in I would say 40, 50 years, so it was completely overgrown. A lot of deer down there, you know, a lot of small games. So a lot of people hunted down there for many years just because it, uh, there was no, no trespassing signs. Nobody took care of it. Nobody looked over it. It was fair game to just about anybody. So, yeah, it was a cool piece to get for myself just because I had some history there and I was a kid. And was it a dream farm? Not at all, but it was a start to eventually get where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. What was, uh, so when you bought that, what was it like starting on, like you finally bought a piece of ground and now you have all these ideas. What was it like going from, I just bought this farm and now trying to put these plans together that were in your head before buying it? <laughs> well, you got to have a vision of what you're going to do first. And then you got to kind of make a plan. And the vision was, you know, try to get in there and establish um, some trails so you can get from one end to the other end because the piece was rectangular, you know, it's, it's, uh, 300 feet wide by three long, quarters of a mile long, long, skinny piece. <laughs> and you only have, you know, one access point to get in there. So you got to kind of think, think that through on where you can come in without bumping off a deer and, and try to hunt it. So we decided to, uh, to put a trail, um, you know, going from one end to the other, uh, closest to the railroad tracks and, it just ran parallel with the tracks for three quarters of a mile. And we went in there with chainsaws and a walk behind brush hog. Oh boy. <laughs> and it took us three years to get done. I so, I get it. That, that's an undertaking to, you know, you go in there and, and after hunting season and, and start in January and work all the way through March and, and try to get done as, as much as you can. And it just, it took a while, but, um, you know, a lot of sweat equity and, and ended up paying off by doing that. Yeah. A lot, you can get a lot done with the chainsaw, but it's uh, it's definitely a lot of time and, and manual labor. And I think, um, myself, I'm guilty of this too, of like, well, you just do that, that, that. And like, when you're out there doing it, like, this is a lot, it's a lot more, not necessarily labor intensive because I know it's hard work and you're gonna be sweating your tail off, but it's more of the time aspect of like, okay, where do I find unblocked time to go do it? without getting interrupted or having other obligations. I think that's probably one of the, the hardest things. I'm sure you can agree with that being all the different things you have going on in a family. Yeah. You know, we got two kids and, and, uh, you know, a side business and trying to do this on the weekends. It was, um, you just got to put your head to the, to the ground and get in there and just get it done and mm-hmm. try to make the best of it. You know, each year we just, we knock off another, you know, piece to get us a little bit farther to where we needed to be and and we went in there and, and cleared some areas put some food plots in that was um the first thing that we did is was make areas to establish food plots and that took some time you know each year they just kept on getting a little bit bigger and bigger and uh, you know by the time we're we're done you know we had three acres that we had cleared mm-hmm. that we set aside just for food plots yeah when you were so from year one to when you eventually sold this farm, how much did the farm? So, like, let's say the day you bought it on a scale one to ten, what would you have rated that farm in terms of hunting quality? I would say, I would say it was probably a five or a six. You know, there was deer in there. I think they were in their bedding because it was so thick and and overgrown that you know there was a lot of cover for them, but there was no food. Mm-hmm. So 
I knew we'd be pushing deer out um, when we hunted it. So there's there's so many other places that they can bed, you know, nearby. So I knew we'd be doing that. So we decided to let's get in there and, and uh, establish some food plots and and um, let's try to make it uh, where they'll come to us mm-hmm. and in certain areas. So we did that, and you know, it took a few years uh, before we started seeing the numbers go up. But each year we would see more and more deer every time we go out and sit and stand. So it was kind of cool to see the progress, you know, and uh, potential to the little place that it had you know it's 25 acres three acres of food and you know you're surrounded by you know ag all around so you're kind of competing with that but we planted clover and chicory you know where the other fields and neighbors they didn't have any of that so i think that was uh one of the key things that we did that helped this farm uh productive having that green food source while you know obviously corn and beans everywhere around you uh, so then it was a five or six, the day you bought it. What about the day you sold it? I mean, would it, if you had to say on a scale of one to 10, how much did you improve it? I would say, I would call it at least an eight, you know, um, there's, there's good deer hunting there. You know, we were shooting open young deer out of there every year, mm-hmm. which was good. You know, there was, uh, there was a few good bucks that, um, that were in that area that we had on camera. They end up getting hit by a car, one particular buck. Um, we hunted for a few years. They had a lot of history with them. Neighbor found them on his property, got hit by a car. You know, that deer ended up scoring 174. And, uh, you know, we did see that deer one time on hoof, but, uh, you know, just couldn't get an arrow into him. But it had potential, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think we made, it, uh, we made it a lot better than what it was, and, and we enjoyed um, hunting it when we, when we had it. Yeah, for sure. And I, um Cause I can, cause of how the farm laid out, like the West side was where you guys put a lot of work in and put in the food plots and like the East side, I'm sure that's what it all looked like at one point. And for anyone listening, it's like a, um, you know, an overgrown piece of chunk of timber with a little bit of uh, a low land. And then like the other side was just absolutely manicured and gorgeous. And like uh, the cedars that butted up to the neighbors where, I mean, that farm, I had so much fun selling that farm because whether people realize they, they saw the potential in it or not, like. You, you definitely did a lot of things really cool on that parcel. And it's like, it was, just, it was just fun. Cause I think people, some, sometimes I, I know from just the feedback, people were a little concerned with like the, the shape of it or the size of the farm. And I'm thinking in terms of where this farm's at and like the value of what you would get for that 25 acres, like I don't, and I still haven't seen a better 25 acre parcel come up since we listed that and got it sold. I mean, <laughs> and I'm not trying to be partial, but I really do. I really do think that. Um, Go ahead. I was going to say thanks. Uh, it uh, it was fun, you know, putting all that that time and that hard work in, and seeing the results at the end of each season. You know, between my kids and myself and some friends going down there hunting it, we all had fun. So it was all an effort worth doing. So when you bought that farm, did you? What was your goals going into it? Did you know you'd eventually sell it? Were you thinking about keeping it for a really long time? What was your your goals going into it? My goals were. Um, establishing good hunting grounds and getting an easement you did as far as eventually selling it you know i i was kind of up in the air because i put so much time and effort into something that it was going to be hard to get rid of but um we had an opportunity you know i i wasn't planning on getting rid of it at the time we had an opportunity on another farm that um that came up and and asked the reason why we 
we decided to sell this one because you know this farm was going to be available. We had to sell this one so we can roll it into the next one. There's the only way we can afford it because we were upsizing the, the acreage, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that new farm, did you just hear about that the, through the grapevine then locally? Yeah. So this uh, the new farm was through a, a friend of mine. Um, he decided uh, that he was going to parcel off um, 180 acres. Uh, 40 40 was going to go to me, and he was going to keep the rest. So. I went out and looked at it and uh, I knew the area. It's, um, it's a very good hunting area. It's been well known for, you know, 180 inch deer for, for many years. Many people taking some, some large animals off of that, that area section of timber. So it's set up pretty well for, for hunting. And it also set up pretty well for eventually putting a house on. So I'm like, told the wife, we need, we need to, um, we need this farm really bad. <laughs> It's, it's uh how so, how did that conversation go? Was that challenging or was she or was, you was know, she no, she uh she was on board It's just you know we just had to figure out the financial part of it that was gonna be the hardest and um you know because we the farm is twenty acres tillable and twenty acres of timber, so tillables uh, always worth more than timber mm-hmm. so you know we had to come up with the money and and we ended up figuring all that out, so it worked out at the end but you know, it's one of them farms, if it's a dream farm where you think that you're, you you want to, you know, keep this farm for the rest of your life and eventually pass it on to your kids, you know, it's a no-brainer. Sometimes it just don't have a price tag. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, that was all kind of going on during this little bit of a land craze. Was there any worries going into that? Like, you know, things are crazy. I'm, I'm a little nervous, you know, buying a 40. Obviously, it's more money than what we had tied up in the 25. What was your thoughts and emotions through that? It was a little bit of a roller coaster because the time um, he approached me, you know, we had about one year to think about it. And uh, so, yeah, it was definitely on my mind for a while on, on uh, you know, the economy and, and the price of the land and worrying if he was going to change the, the price of the sale when we went to go close because it was during the time where land was still going up. And, you know, he held true to you know, to what he was going to sell it to me for. And I'm glad he did because he could have gotten more. Mm-hmm. It was just one of them, one of them pieces of ground that uh, I think everyone wants, you know, a lot of deer. It's got, it's got potential for, you know, booners every year. And, and it's got, uh, you know, it's got timber and it's got fillable. I mean, it's got it all. So. That's awesome. So what, uh, I mean, What's it been like going from a, because you just put however many years into the, the 25 acre parcel, ton of work. Obviously you've upgraded your equipment a little bit over the years, but like, what's it like taking that and, and, and finding new love, if you will, under this 40 and, and peeling back the, the onion and, and making a plan to improve that parcel as well. Yeah. Improving land, you eventually you end up buying some equipment. You know, we started out with uh, chainsaws and four wheelers and eventually upgraded to a UTV. Then. Then we bought a tractor, you know, 40 horse tractor, and then eventually started buying some implements, you know, to go with it just to make things a little bit easier because you're planting, you know, three acres of plots. You know, I'm, I'm the type of guy that likes to till the dirt every year. I'm not so much for, for no-till, and I've had good results doing that. So it's been fun, you know, adding new equipment uh, every so many years and, and 
you know, with the 40 acres buying now, it's, we went out and bought a skid steer because <laughs> you got more land and it's yep. not flat. You know, you got a lot of, uh, you got some ravines and you got some draws and, and, you know, when you clear, it's just, you got to have the right equipment to make your time efficient. Yeah, for sure. That's uh that's a process in itself for sure. How, how, cause I don't have, I mean, I, have, I, we talked a little bit, I planted 10 acres of soybeans with, uh, an old Alice charmer and a two row planter, obviously not the best equipment to do that job efficiently. Uh, what was it like buying that 40 horse tractor? Was it well worth it? Uh, like, do you thank yourself oh all God. the time? Yeah. I wish I would have done that years ago. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> so I'm glad I bought it when I did. So I bought that in 2017 and at the time I believe I paid 21 grand for it. Okay. So that same tractor now, if you go to buy it is, uh, 32,000. Oh my gosh. That's just the inflation that's gone up. You that's know, a, that's a used years. one or, or a brand new one, a brand new one. Okay. Yeah. And so you bought the, in 2017, you bought that new. Yes, I did. Yeah. So yeah. John Deere at the time, and I think they still might even have it, you know, five years free financing. So I put so much down, you pay monthly for five years, you know, we finally own it, but, um, you know, now the thing's worth more than I, you know, when I paid yeah. for it. So it's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I've, I've kind of like window shop briefly for a tractor and I'm just like, uh, maybe I can just wait a couple more years because this it, is a lot of money and, uh, I'm, I'm just not there yet. So I'm trying right now I'm doing the, the no-till strategy and, and beg borrow and steal equipment to get what I can get done, uh, which has worked, but it's, uh, I guess it's all part of the process. Rome wasn't built in the day. How's the, how's the skid steer? Is that another thing you think yourself in almost instantly? You know, I knew I wanted to eventually get one and I bought it sooner than, than I wanted. We had trouble finding, you know, contractors out there to come in to, to do what we wanted to do. It's just everyone was busy. You know, we had a wet spring, so we got a late start just like everybody else. And when I started calling around for, for people to come in and start doing some clearing and put in, you know, it put a covert in, it put a, you know, a road to go through, get to the back of the property and we couldn't find anyone to do the work. So, you know, I, I said, all right, well, let's go out and start looking for skid steers. And, you know, of course the market on that is Great. sky high, just like tractors. And so that was a little bit of a sticker shock, you know? So of course we bought a used one and, and, um, we found one and was able to, uh, get a few attachments for it, you know, the grapple and first the bucket and nice. It was a nice addition to what we needed to do. Yeah, for sure. What are your goals going into? So this is the first year you guys will be hunting that farm. Do you guys have any goals going into it? And I know you guys know there's some good, some good deer running around there too. You know, the goal is to, uh, the plant a fall plot. We put some spring plots in, um, and that's been a struggle too. And we got a late start on that. So a lot of, a lot of weeds, a lot of seed weeds that came through. And so we're doing a lot of spraying to, to try to optimize the best results there. But the uh, the fall plots we're hoping to put in you know two acres of uh, brassicas and and rye and we're going to try to leave a, an acre of of beans out there and we want to bring in you know I think our best hunting is going to be in in December you know when we get snow on the ground and and hopefully we hunt the rut in November um, I know there's good deer there um, we're just going to have to tread lightly and and where we're going to put stands I just don't want to go in there and and um, you know, start hunting all over. We just, 
we're going to hunt the edges and hopefully uh, see what comes through because, you know, we kind of got a little bit of a funnel where we're at and we're just going to have to kind of wait it out and hopefully everything comes through and, and uh, we can put something uh, on the ground, put our hands around it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think it's got to be an exciting thing to kind of like start over on a new project eventually. So did you guys cash rent that, the remaining tillable? Yeah, so this year we're, we're cash renting. Gotcha. Do Next you, year, uh, it's one of them year-to-year deals that we're going to try to, you know, eventually we might try to farm it ourselves, but for this year, we're cash rented. Yeah, you got enough stuff going on right now to, <laughs> to, to, let, to let alone go do that. Um, no, I think that's that's definitely really exciting. So as you went in and bought that 40, how important – So because I know you mentioned building a house. How important was that is the uh, kind of picture like, man, we could build our house right here. It'd be nice to, you know, call this place home. So what was that like? You got a place picked out? Yeah, we do. I mean, we went out and, and surveyed it and where would be the best location to put a house without hurting the hunting. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that was kind of important is trying to find out where you put it, you know? So we found a place where you put it and, and of course, most of the, the hunting's kind of in the middle of the property anyway. So we we put the we'd put the house towards the front. You know, when that's going to happen, we're not for sure. Um, I guess uh, the short term is is try to get a building out there so we can store equipment and kind of maintain the property and eventually build a house in the next you know hopefully five years. Mm-hmm. That's I mean that's really exciting. I think. And how how long did you own that twenty five acre parcel roughly? I believe we had it for six years. Okay. Well, I mean, just think of how much you did in six years with the equipment that you started out with and uh, what that, what that new 40 is going to look like in five or six years. I can't even imagine. Yeah. We, uh, we're excited to get started. I mean, it, like I said, we had a slow start. We had a wet spring. We had some breakdowns with equipment. So we're a little bit behind the eight ball, but, um, you know, we have, all we have is time. So we got plenty of time, you know, coming up in the next few years to make that piece, uh, you know, the best piece we can. So it's going to be a progression to get there. You know, we started on it. It was the main thing as we got food plots going. Uh, we got this hunting season that we're looking forward to and hopefully um, results will show. For sure. What's a piece of advice, someone that's listening to this right now, that they're trying to buy their first 20 acres or first 40 acres that you would tell them, or I guess, and it could be even advice you would have told yourself, you know, 15 years ago. The biggest thing is, I believe, is going to the bank, starting there first, and see how much you can be stretched out and how much you can afford. You know, some banks want, you know, 20% down, but if you got assets that you can bring to the table, you don't need that 20%. That's what I've learned. <clears throat> so I would I would start with the bank, shop around. There's a lot of banks out there. Um, some like to, uh, the smaller banks like to work with, you know, small people like us, blue collar guys. So. You know, we, we found uh, found a bank that would work with us, and and it was pr- pretty helpful. I would start there, and, um, you know, it, just by looking like what I did on newspapers, just, you know, even on the Internet, you know, marketplace, stuff like that, just keep your eye open for, for odd pieces. Uh, you might get, have to go through some hurdles, you know, on them pieces, but you never know. You might mm-hmm. find that, that needle in a haystack like I did on that first one. For sure. And I, that's a great point because I think that to go through the hurdles that other people don't want to is a great way to hedge some value into the farm. 
I mean, I, I think, cause I think if it scares some, if it's not a deal breaker and it is not catastrophic and you have a plan or you think you can solve the issue, what a great way to create some, some, some value. And I'm just thinking your 25 acre parcel. I'm sure if, uh, you know, I bet you some people probably called you crazy, crazy. Like you bought that farm, you don't even have access to it. And it's like, well, when I do get access to it, it's definitely going to be that problem. It's over. It's solved. Yeah. A lot of people shy away from, from landlocked uh, properties, but I've seen many people buy it and they end up getting easement. So it's, it's on how persistent you want to be. And um, you just got to follow through and, and believe in yourself and eventually it all work out. Mm -hmm. What was a myth that you found as you're going through kind of this, this land process of like, it could have been a variety of things. Is there any myths that you're like, well, I, I thought that's how that worked and, and it turned out to be a different way. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, the easement deal on, on that first piece that, that one is, I'm still scratching my head on that because I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Really? <laughs> but something deep down inside said that just stick with it. It'll, it'll come through, you know, and, uh, and I did, you know, I was persistent and, and I just kept on, you know, packing away and, and where I needed to do and, where I needed to be and eventually ended up working out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can only imagine dealing with the red tape and how many, how many follow-up emails do you think you had to send? <laughs> like, Hey, just following up on this <laughs> because it, you know, like it, it loses traction. I could only imagine. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's red tape anywhere you go. It seems like, so yeah, it's just the uh, nature of the beast. How, when you bought that, 25 acre parcel did you did you think it would end up as strong of a deal for you from when you started or like did you have a high level of conviction with that purchase from the start or did this kind of work out eventually where it, it definitely made a lot of sense you know i <clears throat> i always had in back of my mind i knew i could make this piece uh, into something more than what i bought it for mm -hmm. i knew eventually if i was going to sell it i could always make money how much money at the time i had no idea so um I kind of hit the market at the right time. I had no idea that I was going to be able to, you know, turn the profit I did, but the market was, was perfect timing when I put it up for sale. But, um, mm -hmm. no, I didn't know at the time, um, when I first bought it, that I was going to, you know, eventually turn it for that profit. For sure. And I think, I think those types of, uh, scenarios were where you made those improvements because you wanted to make them, you didn't make them because you wanted to sell it. And like, it's, uh, when people go into a, a parcel with the mindset of I'm going to sell this, I feel it doesn't, it's like trying to think of an example of when you, when someone probably has a bad experience with this. So I'm just going to use this as an example. Someone goes and buys a house that was flipped or they run a house that was flipped and everything just kind of feels slapped together. They use cheap materials and you're just like, it looks aesthetically nice, but when you knock on the wall, it's like, you're afraid it's going to you know break through like tissue paper where like the person that bought that house, they lived there. They wanted to use good, good materials. And like, they did things with, you know, you know, good intent. I think that's the same thing with farms too, where like someone like you, you did those improvements because you wanted to make the place better, not because you wanted to try to make a buck. Exactly. I agree with you hundred percent there. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any intentions when we first bought it to sell it. Our intentions was to let's make this, this farm, um, huntable and enjoyable and, you know, let's see, we can make the best of it. And that's what we did. And, and eventually worked out where, you know, we had an opportunity on a different farm and that was the only reason why we sold it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Uh, and that I, that I notice and recognize 
The other thing too, how important was this? You had a catalog of trail cameras and harvest pictures, which is so important. Everyone knows that, but not everyone takes the point to actually do it. Cause you had, you had a deer year over year. You had a lot of really nice deer. You had, I know that 170, I think was, uh, I recognize that deer or remember, I know there was like a really big deer on the listing, uh, 10 pointer. And so like, that's so, so important too, I think of just having documentation to show that, like, Hey, these there's good deer here and there's good deer here every single year. Yeah. I'm one of them guys who basically save all the, you know, deer pictures that I can over, over the years. And I mean, this is going back to, you know, the early two thousands when the, when the digital cameras first came out, I, I just wanted them guys. All right, this buck, you know, it's a three-year-old. Let's let's save his file and see where he's going to be next year. And and so I I always did that to every farm I hunted, and and especially this the one that you own because you want to see the potential of that deer where it's going to be. You know, when he's four and he's five, and you just want to see him grow from year to year. Mm-hmm. So I kept good records, and um, and definitely that was uh, worth doing when you put it up for sale for me. Yeah. And the, uh, the harvest pictures as well. Um, and I, I think too, a lot of those pictures too had very, I think it's really important. I don't, the, the key landmarks in the pictures too. Cause I, it's undoubtedly it's that farm. Like here's the bind in the background or here's this food plot or here's this landmark, I think is always a really good thing just to like, okay, this is undoubtedly this farm. My Photoshop skills aren't that good. So I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't take a picture and put them in there, but that's just a, uh, a side tangent, but, um, is there any other advice you would give someone that's kind of just, you know, they've done, maybe they talked to the bank and now they're, they're looking to find a deal and, you know, maybe they're too picky or maybe they're, you know, like their expectations are unrealistic. What would you tell that person? I would say, you know, check the, uh, the neighbors, um, farms out, you know, see if they're using it for hunting. Um, you know, you don't want to buy a piece where it's getting pressure on all sides. You know, especially if it's a small piece, it's just going to make tough and hunting a lot tougher than than what it is and should be. So check your neighbors, make sure, um, you know, they're not being pressured that that much and, and try to find a piece that, you know, is less pressured. That's that's good advice for sure. Because that your parcel hunts, especially of a, for instance, a 25 acre parcel, that parcel hunts a lot smaller if you have hunters on all four sides of you. I mean, it hunts, gosh, I, I don't know. I had to put crunch the numbers on how much smaller percentage wise that really is versus the, how that parcel was set up to where with the state being on the South side of that with no hunting. So that's a huge bonus. And then what, you know, the surround, the other surrounding neighbors, you know, pretty, uh, pretty low pressure in general for that 25, just to hunt so much bigger. Yeah, I agree. Um, that, that piece didn't have a, a whole lot of pressure, you know, it just, it was surrounded by the right, um, uh, the right neighbors and it, it worked out where, um, you know, for us, we're fortunate to, to have that, um, where we're surrounded by railroad tracks on one side and, uh, you know, the DNR on the other, and it just worked out in our favor. Yeah, for sure. So that 40, is that the last farm you think you'll own? Or do you think, <laughs> or do you have a, a desire to maybe scoop up another one along the way? You know, that's a good question. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's always, it's always fun looking and, and buying yeah. again. Um, it's going to be a little bit before I, I even start looking because we've got so much work to do on this one. But mm-hmm. yeah, I would like to own another. Um, 
we'll see what the future holds. Uh, but for now, we're going to concentrate on this one and try to make it right. For sure. Yeah. You, you got your work cut out. Um, that's, I mean, anything else you want to, you want to share here? I think we covered a lot of really important things. I think just the, the importance of looking to find those creative kind of oddball deals where you can go in and wedge some value right off the bat by jumping through hoops that other people don't want to. You know, I've, I've always knocked on doors that, um, you know, this is when I first started looking, if I knew, if I knew the farmer and, and if he had a piece of timber that uh, was off, you know, off to the side of his, his field edge, if he'd be willing to, you know, chunk off a piece and, um, you know, you can always go down that road. You're going to get a lot of no's. You might get that one yes, and that's all it takes. And, um, you know, these days uh, it's probably a little bit tougher to do that. But back, you know, back when I was looking, it wasn't so tough, but I did try that. Um, I didn't have success, but you don't know until you don't try. Sure. Yeah, that's that's good advice, too. I think uh, the more stones you're willing to flip over and see what's underneath them, you're, you're bound to find something good. It's just how how much you want to how much input of work you want to do. It's just like anything else, but um, no. And look, this is the other question I wanted to ask you too, because I, I know a lot of, you know, successful self-made hardworking people and just about all of them have two forms of income. How important was it to have the woodworking business as well to kind of help pair all this together? Uh, you know, it's, it, it helped. Um, everything helps. Any, any extra form of income is going to help. So you know, it's something I've been doing for, for 15 years. You know, I can't quit my main job yet because the woodworking business is not quite to that level, but eventually I'll be there one day. So any any extra source of income, it's going to help. You know, two jobs is is, um, is going to be better than one, but it takes away from a lot of your family time. But that's what I knew what I, I needed to be is, is have extra income so we can eventually one day, you know, to be able to afford a piece of land that uh, we want to build a house on or if we want to hunt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that could, that's another piece of advice, you know, is, is um, it does take extra income, you know, blue collared workers, especially selling a piece of ground these days because it's so expensive. Yeah, it is. And, and, and uh, all the, all the equipment that you have to buy too, apparently. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. Well, I tell you what, John, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better. And it was, uh, like I said, it was, I really, I had so much fun selling that farm. Um, I, it was, I had, I showed that farm a ton and, uh, it was, it was just cool to. Yeah. You had quite a drive, uh, to get there too. So I kind of felt bad you had to drive out. Uh, no, it was, quite a way just to show it. <laughs> it was good because I, I, I was so fired up about that farm because I just think that, Oh, I look at a lot of farms that are listed and then obviously sell a good chunk of farms. And every now and then like that parcel, I think is, has a lot of rare attributes that other farms can't have. And so to get someone that understands that, or at least appreciates it, that was my whole mission because I think it's, it's a cool farm. Well, you did a really good job selling it. And I was impressed with the drone footage what you, that you did there. I think uh -huh. that helped definitely sell it. So that, uh, that was an important key point was a drone i believe from and how you was actually to, to get that footage and and uh, put it out there that was pretty cool yeah it makes a big difference but um i don't take any more time of your evening here i just want to say thank you once again uh feel free to plug your woodworking business too i have uh, i got my dad a so in illinois we have pins for when you kill a deer and they're i don't know what what year did they do start doing that it was a long time ago was it the 80s so the 
the DNR started giving pens out back in 1978. Okay. Yes. So go ahead. And they're, they're still giving pens out, uh, you know, to this day. So mm-hmm. the older the pen, the more it's worth, you know, it's, it's vintage antique and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's part of my business too, is, uh, a deer and turkey pen, you know, dealers. So I buy a lot of old pens from, from people and resell them to the people that, you know, that need them, that lost them or, or just mm-hmm. collecting them in, in general. Yeah. Cause he, I got him a, a mat of the state of Illinois and he, you know, put all his pins in there. Cause I think, I don't know what his oldest pin is, but it was probably in the eighties and it is kind of a nostalgic thing. You can see all the different color schemes throughout the year. So that's one of the cool things you have there. And then also I really appreciate the, uh, the wood flag that's going up in the off the new office as well. So um, I just want to say thank you for that and, and encourage anyone to check out uh, what you have going on. If you want to plug the website right now, feel free to do so. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and the website um, uh, for all three is customoutdooradvantage.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, John. Excited to see how your season goes. And uh, you have to keep me posted how the, how the 40 project continues on. I'm, I'm excited to see how it evolves. For sure, Jake. Thank you. There you guys have it. Thank you so much for John for taking the time to sit down and talk all about his land journey and land experiences. I think there's so much value in a conversation like this. Um, because <clears throat> it's extremely relatable and um, John's done it. So he's, he's found a way to make things happen and definitely respect that. And real quick, if you guys enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a written review and be sure to sign up for that email resource newsletter. And I think that is it for now. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We are actually headed to Iowa tentatively. It would be actually when this goes live, we would already be getting back from Iowa potentially. And I'll just say we have some really great guests in the pipeline. And I think we're going to have some absolute fantastic killer episodes. And I'm really excited about it. So hope you guys have a great week once again. Till next time, see you.